And you're back with The Encounter with God. Join the 20 million movement. 20 million people all studying the same chapter of the Bible at the same time. And, of course, we are studying the book of Acts, and today we are in Acts chapter 18. So, Mon, you want to take us there? Yes, I do. And we just want to say one more time, congratulations to nine-year-old oh, Chloe. Yes, we, yes, do. we, 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 do. we do actually say that. <laughs> did you, didn't you just lulls. notice that I, didn't, I said nothing about the quiz right then? <laughs> nothing. I'm never going to let you forget. <laughs> oh, Lyle got Chloe's awesome. again. Yes, she Chloe. Is just awesome. Chloe is a young Bible student. And uh, and we we need more of our kids to be Bible students like Chloe. Absolutely. Yeah, so Chloe got the answer right. The answer, of course, was Aaron. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, she figured that out before Lyle figured it out. Figured it out on the second clue, no less. Yeah. Yep. That's. Uh, I'm going to keep talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know you are, Mon. You know why I know you're going to do this? Because <laughs> I'm Morris. Because last time it happened, you talked about You don't actually only just stopped talking about it when Chloe called again. <laughs> I think we have a great relay going here. <laughs> uh, P.S. I've been in Acts chapter 16 for a while now. <laughs> Did you actually want me to start reading something? No, I didn't want you to read anything from Acts chapter 16. Oh, 17. My bad. I don't want you to read anything from Acts chapter 17. 18? You were listening oh, to it. You were so busy. You were so so gloating. busy gloating and rubbing gloating. the salt in my wounds mm-hmm. that you listened hey, look, to nothing I was saying. Salt is good for wounds. <laughs> <laughs> in what way? Please explain. It's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> so German. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can't help it, Lyle. <laughs> I was literally born that way. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Uh, Eventually, I'll stop giving you beef yes, about it. Monica Adolf Galash. <laughs> All right, Acts chapter. You just said that on air. (laughs) Start reading for us in verse 1, please. Okay, okay. Acts 18, verse 1. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Been there, been there. Then he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. Whoa, what verse are you up to there now? Uh, about to start verse seven. Verse seven. Okay, that's 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 some uh, <clears throat> that's a controversial subject coming through right there. Of course, for the Jewish community. Now, okay, let's come back to this. Uh, the reason why Aquila and Priscilla were there. Not to be confused with Ananias and Sapphira. That's right. <laughs> which I always do. <laughs> <laughs> why were Aquilus and Priscilla in the city of Corinth? Uh, was it because Paul was there? Nope. No, 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 that's right. Because they left. Um, because they got deported. Okay. Why did they get deported? Uh, they deported all the Jews from Rome. Why did they get... I don't know, actually. Why you did don't know they get why deported? Claudius deported all the Jews? Because he hates them? I don't know. Racial no, laws? it was actually because um, it had nothing, nothing to do with um, just being Jews. It was because the gospel had reached Rome and there was a division amongst the new Jews over Jesus Christ and apparently it was causing trouble in the empire. And so he's like, that's it. You're out. Gone. And uh, so all the Jews, either which... All the Jews. doesn't matter which side they took, they were all gone. And the Bible indicates here, of course, that Aquila and Priscilla were followers of Jesus Christ. So this this gives us a little bit of background that's really important for us to understand. 
You know, it's a bit of a shame, but I actually kind of <coughs> admire this Claudius Caesar guy because I feel the same way about pedophiles. Where did that come from? Because just earlier today, I rather controversially said that if any entity doesn't um, adhere to the Australian law of being mandatory reporters, that they should just get out of the country. And uh, and I, I think what this guy did, I can understand why he did it because I would do the same thing in a couple of instances too. Okay, so you would uh, – so if you were Claudius at that particular time, uh-huh. let me just get this straight. You would have deported the entire Jewish population because some of them believed in Jesus Christ. I wouldn't have done it in that case, but I can understand why. Because it's not because they believed in Jesus Christ. It's, you know, you just said it was because they're making trouble and causing, you know, causing... Uh, okay, so yeah. for, for criminal behaviour. <laughs> yeah, for criminal behaviour. And, uh, and, and I would <coughs> deport... But what about all the innocent people? Well, I mean, I wouldn't deport the innocent ones, like... Okay, so if you're a troublemaker, you're out. Yeah. Okay, so but not. But, I mean, so not I wouldn't do this for all like troublemakers. The, I'm the talking same specifically what? about uh, pedophilia and and those kind of crimes because those are just I'm more disgusted with that than anything else. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Make them somebody else's problem. I'm just I'm just that's, saying that's you, I understand this guy's mentality. That's what you'd want to do. Make them somebody else's problem. Well, yeah. Let, let the Greeks worry about them. <laughs> Yeah, well, he said. Where did where did this guy send all these Jews to? Like just anywhere? Uh, I, 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 it was I like don't just know out exactly of Rome. the history of it, but it was mm-hmm. out of Rome. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's amazing that he has the power to do that because we don't really do that anymore, do we? Not really. We're trying to here in Australia, where we are. Um, you know, if, if a person is a uh, permanent resident and they do um, criminal things, we cancel their residency, which we didn't oh, used to yeah. do mm-hmm. in the past, mm-hmm. and so they serve their time and then they leave. Okay. Which has created an interesting situation because, you know, you've got people being deported back to countries that, uh, you know, they grew up here in Australia, they might have been born there and moved here when they were two, they end up getting deported back to a country that they've never been to in their life and they don't even speak the language or anything. Wow. Well. But they did a criminal act. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (coughs) And if you do a criminal act, then that's what happened. Those are the consequences. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the law of Australia. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Yeah, it's, a, it's difficult. Don't be a criminal. That's the, that's the whole point. It's difficult to be sympathetic because like, one hand that sounds really hor- horrific, but then on the other hand, they got themselves into it, didn't they? And the other thing too is that you can make your life in lots of different parts of the world. So, mm, you know, yeah. suck it up and deal with it. Yeah. Um, if, uh, you know, if God called me to some random part of the world, I'm sure that I would be able to make a good life there. Yeah, I'd be delighted personally, but that's the kind of girl I am to be like, you know, put a different country where I don't speak the language. Like Saudi Arabia? I would happily go anywhere right now apart from Western Australia. Sorry, WA. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, 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 look. Yes, all no, 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 look. It's not because WA sucks or anything or, or is bad. It's just because I spent so much of my time already there. So I feel like I've really I've, okay, so you've done I've rinsed it out yep. several times over and I want to do something different. So okay. I only got this one life. So You, you, know. you saved yourself. Yeah, yeah. I don't hate you, WA. I'm very close to you. <laughs> Actually, uh, Mon is a um, is 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 a fiercely patriotic Western Australian you know um, at times. <laughs> <coughs> Okay, so these, uh, so Priscilla and Aquila, they're no longer in Rome. And it, what it tells us is something about the history of Christianity, because often we look at the, uh, you know, the spread of Christianity. We think, you know, Paul was the greatest missionary who ever lived, and he's taken Christianity all over the world. We have the stories of Paul. Mm-hmm. What we have here is evidence that there were a lot more missionaries than just Paul. Yeah, because Rome is a long way from Palestine. We often think that, you know, Paul was the person who took Christianity to Rome. No, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he wrote to the Christian church in Rome. He was writing to a church that he had never been to. Mm-hmm. And there, it seems um, very, very likely and, and, 
and, and clear that neither had any of the disciples been to Rome when the book of Romans was written. Mm-hmm. So it had spread through many other believers who had you know taken the gospel. Just it, it, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Yeah, you know we we probably give too much credit to Paul and not enough credit to other Christians in the actual spread of the gospel. Simply because we have the story of Paul. Yeah, but there are you know thousands and thousands of potential books of Acts out there. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, was it the end of John when it says, um, you know, if we had recorded all the Acts of Jesus, there wouldn't be books big enough to like to contain them. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and you know, you have to sort of remember that although the Bible is very comprehensive, it was it was still was just a snapshot of time, you know, mm. no matter when it was written and, and, uh, and what period it was capturing. And so, yeah, so the, the disciples and the apostles that we read about in the Bible, there was probably many more, you know, going even further and doing absolutely, crazy stuff. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. And you think about it, uh, we look at Paul as one of, being one of the greatest missionaries, but as far as you know, the amount of territory that's been covered and the amount of people that have been converted, who was the greatest missionary out of all the disciples? Was it Paul? No, it wasn't. It wasn't Paul. Oh no, wait, it was. Oh, um, what's his face? The one who went like all the way, not north. Um, I've forgotten his name. I'm blanking. East. Think east. east. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, east. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. Um, Philip. It was. It was not Philip. It was. Oh, what's um, his name? Thomas. Thomas, right. Yes, of course, Thomas. Yes. Thomas, the one disciple who suffered from severe depression, mm-hmm. takes the gospel further than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, and you can still go to go to parts of the world and they have like the churches and yeah, St. That, Thomas that, and this kind date, of stuff. Yeah, they date their history straight back to, mm-hmm, to, to mm-hmm. Thomas. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, when you look at – I guess the reason that Paul in many ways is so much more remembered is because he went west rather than east and it was in the west – that um, you know, political movements took place where Christianity became a state religion and politicised. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Yeah, so because religion became politicised in the West, it became you know state religion, all this kind of stuff. You didn't see that happening in India and China. And so you had just as many converts, if not more, in those countries, but it never... Uh, became the state religion, and so therefore you never had these big movements where everybody sort of jumped on the bandwagon and became Christian. Uh, India and China would probably be good examples of what Europe, Europe would look like today if Christianity had not become the state religion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, Christianity would be a very vibrant minority that's been there for a very, very long time with the you know the current religions of Hinduism, Taoism, um, etc., Buddhism. Um, maintaining their sway. So, do you think that? And, and of course, if that had been in the West, then you'd have, you know, uh, y- y- your Greek religions and your Nordic religions, your, uh, um, you know, Frankish religions, etc., that would still be holding sway. So, do you think that our first world countries are first world countries because of Christianity? Yes, absolutely. Okay, well, mm-hmm. how about that? Yep. And so, anything underneath that is <coughs> like second or third world is result of. Other, you can other you can you can look at you can look around the world, mm-hmm. and and th- and this is a very it's an imperfect uh, way of looking at the world. It's an imperfect comparison, but mm-hmm. it starts with you, 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 your wealthiest countries are typically your Protestant countries, mm-hmm. and it works down through Christianity from there. So then you go to your Orthodox Catholic countries, um, and then you go to your non-Christian countries. 
um, your countries that are historically the poorest and the least developed are those countries that um, are deeply involved in spiritualism. Mm-hmm. You know, places like Haiti and stuff like that where yeah. you've got voodoo and, and that kind of thing. And what it shows is that the devil has no love for his own. Mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. choose to serve the devil, he's, he's got no care for you. He's quite happy for you for, to be in absolute abject poverty. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the development that we have, a lot of the science and the knowledge that we have, uh, really has come out of countries with a, with that Protestant work ethic. Mm-hmm, and now mm-hmm. we're losing it. That's you know, true. Now, now Hindus work harder in Australia than Protestants do. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh, and that's a real tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, but, we, you know, that, that, that whole Protestant work ethic really no longer exists anymore. But you can also look at it, you can, you, you, can, you can know what religion a country is predominantly and what it is historically just by driving down the road. That's very interesting. Because of mm-hmm. their attitude towards law. Mm-hmm. The Protestant ethic, which upholds the law of God very, very highly, has a much higher respect to for law. Mm-hmm. And so you'll find that when there's a stop sign, people will stop. When the you know light goes red, people people come to a stop and these kind of things. You know, it it uh, the most hilarious experiences I've ever had is um, driving through, say, Tehran in the mm-hmm. bus and mm-hmm. being thankful that I wasn't behind the wheel and just coming up to these intersections and seeing how that, uh, you know, there's there's motorbikes, there's cars, they're just going everywhere. The lights are a vague recommendation. <laughs> Everybody's just like, you know, up the street, along the curb, you know, over the footpath. Um, <laughs> pedestrians are weaving their way in and in amongst it all. It's like, it's a system. Uh-huh. It works. Uh-huh. I have no idea how. It had me in absolute stitches seeing the, <laughs> seeing the things that were taking place around me. And uh, it was some of the best entertainment I've ever had. But there's just a very, very low um, respect for law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, you know, in your Protestant and Christian countries, you have much higher respect for that. That is very interesting. Particularly your Protestant countries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and speaking of that work ethic, I mean, we can see here Priscilla and Aquila, they, they weren't idle-handed either. They were tent makers like Paul was. And now you raise an interesting point, which mm-hmm. is, is central to this uh, discussion. Why don't you pick up the uh, passage where we were reading, I think you're up to verse 6. Mm-hmm. Why don't you give us another, say, 10 verses there? Um, then he left and went to the home of Titus Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. That's significant. It's very significant, the leader of the synagogue. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. Jesus gave his disciples... The instruction, when they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Paul and the disciples and the apostles have done. Yeah, They shake the dust off their feet. They're they like, your rolling. blood is on your own head, and they move on. Mm-hmm. That's what happened you know, in every city that, that Paul has gone through so far. Now he comes to Corinth. Mm-hmm. He's facing persecution in Corinth. There is division in Corinth. There are people in Corinth who are there because they got kicked out of Rome because of the division that was created by, you know, people preaching about Jesus Christ. Um, You've got, you know, probably the most significant person in the synagogue there gives his life to God, the leader of the synagogue, the local church pastor, Mm -hmm. uh, gives his life to Christ, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. But 
there's still persecution happening and you can imagine that Paul is like, okay, the persecution's starting to heat up. I'm going to follow the instruction of Jesus and move on to the next city. Yeah. And so as he's thinking about that and praying about that and it's like, okay, when do I make my move? God comes to him and says, okay, this time, this one's an exception. And he stays for quite a while. Oh, he does. Mm, mm. He does. And the church in Corinth becomes a major, major church and gets itself into major, major trouble and hot water and uh, falls into terrible corruption there for a while Mm -hmm. and then pulls itself back together again, Mm -hmm. a church that reforms itself. It's a very exciting story. Is this what the books um, 1st and 2nd Corinthians were about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because 1st Corinthians, Paul just beats up on them Uh uh incessantly. It's like... 15 chapters of Paul beating up on the church in Corinth because they were so far gone. I mean, this church, they were all divided. They hated each other. They uh, they had um, had sexual perversion. They had they were going to court with each other. They'd thrown out the health message. They were using alcohol in the communion service. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. You know, the list could go on and on and on. This church got really, really messed up after Paul left. But it's interesting that the Lord said there's uh, there's many people in this city that belong to me yes. at this point. And, and this is a very large city. You've gone yeah. from a very small city, Athens, a very small city, to mm. now a very large city. I wonder who was there beforehand that sort of maybe paved the way. Like, Well, I'm thinking Aquila and Priscilla. Yeah, must have done, yeah, yeah. You know, these are, these are obviously godly people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we were uh, something else I was going to draw out here, but let's go to Second um, Corinthians chapter eleven here for a moment. We're going to we're going to start digging into something that actually takes place here. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. So Paul stays there for a year and a half. He does. That's yeah, the current. that's the longest place that he has stayed as a preacher. Even in Antioch, the Bible says that he only preached there for a year mm-hmm. with Barnabas. But here he stays for a year and a half. So we're going to go over Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Could you read for us verse eight and nine, please? Eight and nine says, "I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions. I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not become a financial burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all I all that I needed. I have never been a burden to you, and I never will be." As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. Okay, let's let let's stop there for a moment. What do you what do you think that Paul may have been accused of when he makes this statement right here? Uh, being a freeloader. Yeah, being a prosperity gospel preacher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Prosperity gospel being um, God wants you to be wealthy. So for the way the way to you for you to get wealthy, no, God wants you to be wealthy like me. Mm-hmm. Um, look at me, I am wealthy. Yep. And so for you to become wealthy, you need to give me money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we hear that all. And, and so they become fabulously wealthy and everybody gets fabulously poor. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just like, it's the biggest scam ever. Yeah. You yeah. Know, this, is, this is the Pharisees all over again. Wealth is the sign of the blessing of God. Therefore, if you, if you are in poverty, you are under the curse of God. I mean, seriously? It's crazy. Where does this come from? And Paul is not like that. He is the opposite of that. Very, very much the opposite of that. Paul takes this uh, this view that, you know what, I'm going to go to Corinth, I'm going to preach there, and I'm not going to ask for a cent mm-hmm. from Corinth. Mm-hmm. So he's there for a year and a half. So who is it that sponsors his wages while he's there? I'm going to say that he did the tent-making thing. And he had did the tent-making thing. Mm-hmm. And the churches in Macedonia were sponsoring. Yeah, yeah. So he had Macedonians sponsoring a Greek church. 
Now, this is significant. Let me share with you why this is significant. If you go back to uh, the beginning of Acts, and if you look at the church structure as it was set up in the beginning of Acts, you have um, a very structured church where you have deacons, you have elders, you have you know pastors and so forth. You have the disciples, and you have people who are making contributions to the church, which is then being divvied up amongst the other church members and particularly being used to sponsor Uh, church work. We're going to come back after this break.
You were listening to Chris McClarney with Breathe On Me, Breath of God here on Faith FM as we continue with our 20 million movement and we are studying the book of Acts <coughs> along with 20 million other people right now, Paul's experiences in Corinth and we were looking at how Paul funded himself. Yes. There is a very big contrast that you find in the book of Acts between the way the disciples were funded where they had a central church headquarters in Jerusalem and they raised fund, you know, money was brought in and the disciples were taken care of there, the deacons, etc. Um, there was provision that was made for the poor. There was very good church organizational structure. What you find is that something different has been happening in the north in Antioch, where the church in Antioch says, you know what, we're going to send out some missionaries from our church. And so they send out Paul and Barnabas. It is not church headquarters who do this. Okay. And this is a really important point to notice. It is not church headquarters that sends out Paul and Barnabas. It is Antioch that does so. Mm -hmm. Then what happens is that you find Paul, as he travels, is reliant on funds that he raises for himself from churches that he establishes, from the ch- from his from his home church in Antioch, and from doing his own his own work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we find here that Paul was, and this is part of Paul's struggle in being accepted as an apostle. Because, you know, they all saw the apostles. The apostles spent three and a half years with Jesus, and uh, the apostles come from headquarters. Um, yeah, they're the ones that are paid by the church, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas Paul, on the other hand, was self supporting. And he spent, rather than three and a half years, about three and a half minutes with Jesus. Yeah. He spent three and a half years out in the desert, but that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so he's, he's seen as your, uh, your budget apostle because of that. And this is when you, when you read through his defense of his apostleship here, he spends more time talking about the issue of funding than anything else. And so this was actually the biggest objection that people had to Paul and his apostleship was that he was not funded by church headquarters. Ah, isn't that interesting? It's a very, very, very interesting lesson that we all need to take notice of and learn from because when somebody is called by God often Mm -hmm. and they're not funded by church headquarters – they're often seen as a second-class mm-hmm. missionary mm-hmm. Right. and looked upon with suspicion. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if church headquarters is not prepared to uh, fund this person, then they must be dodgy for some reason. Yeah, that's right. And that is simply not the case. Not at all. Paul was a self-supporting apostle, and sometimes in this case, this is the only case that I know of uh, where he actually worked for a year and a half as a tent maker. Mm-hmm. He just did his trade during the day and preached at night. Yeah. At other times, he raised large amounts of money as he went by making appeals, raising donations, so that he could support his missionary endeavors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny because even though it's been thousands of years, I feel like we're still arguing about this sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, you know, you look at uh, say, for instance, the difference between us and our sister um, uh, radio transmitter, uh, radio station Three ABN. We play mm-hmm. a lot of Three ABN material here. They're entirely self-funded, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we are partially self-funded. Yep. And partially funded by church headquarters. And so because of that, a lot of people look with suspicion on 3ABN. Which they shouldn't. Of course not. No. You know, they've, they've got a calling. They've got their job to do. And just because, you know, of where somebody raised their funds from, we should ju- not judge a person by where the money is raised from. We should judge mm-hmm. a person or a ministry based on the message that they present. Are they presenting the gospel? And, of course, they're presenting the gospel. Okay, that's all we need to know. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's a little bit like uh, you know the disciples came to Jesus and like, oh, we found these guys who were um, doing miracles in your name, so we stopped them. 
And she's like, why? why? Yeah. You know, what were you thinking? Yeah. You know, just, just because I didn't, I wasn't there and person personally commissioned them, didn't give you the reason to stop them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were working for me. They they were, you know, self initiators. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we squash, mm-hmm. um, we squash people who have initiative. We squash people who have a vision. We squash people who have a calling just because it doesn't seem to be going through the regular channels like we want it to. Yeah, and what like we expect it to. And so this is a, an area in which we need to be very aware as as Christians, and uh, you know you can you can go to read this whole chapter, chapter eleven. It's actually kind of mind boggling because if you think about it, it, isn't it better that that ministries might be self sufficient instead of having to rely on the church for money? Like vastly better. Yeah, yeah it's vastly better. We this should is, be like thanking them that they are is, able to do their work. This is every church pastor's dream yeah. right here. Yeah, yeah, because budgeting is such a huge issue. There's never yeah. enough budget to go around for all the projects, and yet we have people who can take, you know, uh, take initiative and uh, and make things happen. Like we should be, we should be very grateful for this. Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. And we should judge judge these ministries based on uh, based on whether they're preaching the gospel or not. And That's if, right. if they're preaching the gospel, then don't for, forbid them not. Mm-hmm. The Bible says, mm-hmm. uh, wish them God's blessings and let them go for it. And if you've got any questions on that, just read Second Corinthians. You know, when when Paul eventually goes to Jerusalem mm-hmm. in the end of the Book of Acts, he hadn't been there for a very very long time. When he goes to church headquarters. And there's people there in church headquarters that get him at all kinds of strife, once again, because they're like, oh, you know, we hear all these rumors about you and all this kind of stuff. He was seen, Paul was Paul ministered under a cloud of suspicion because of his self-supporting status his entire life, his entire ministry. Yeah, yeah and I think if you're working in ministry, um, you're listening to this and you're working in ministry, like look at Paul's life and, and be encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely be encouraged. It goes on and it talks about... Um, uh, let me see a little bit further down. Uh, there's a verse here, and it should be jumping out at me, but um, it's not right now. Um, anyway, I'll come back to it. There's a great verse there about funding and funding of self-supporting missionaries and self-supporting workers and and, Doesn't uh, the spirit of prophecy also say that we should all have like a tent making job as well, like a, a skill that we can use? Okay, you just used a whole bunch of language there that um, I'm thinking a whole bunch of people <laughs> are like, "What on earth is?" is uh, well, to be honest, I did it because this was a little bit of a message to the Christians. Okay, um, <laughs> this is something that is Jewish um, tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jewish practice. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why Jewish people dominate the world in the financial sector. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and here's one of the, here, is, here is one of the secrets that they have. Okay? Every, every child, when they're growing up, before they go into their, you know, their, their life's vocation, must do a trade. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, they must do a trade. Before they do like a degree and or so anything? And so here you've got Paul. His, Paul is a great example of it. Uh-huh. He's going to do a degree in law. Uh-huh. Before he is allowed to do a degree in law, he has to do a trade. Ah, so he And was- so for his trade, he chose tent making. That's really great. So now as a student, he can earn income. Anywhere he goes. As a missionary, anywhere he goes, he has a trade that he can fall back on. And I think... That's very clear. I think that this is 
one of the greatest systems our world yes. has ever seen and I would recommend it to any yeah. young person out there whatsoever at all. You finish school, go do a trade. Do a trade. Get your apprenticeship, mm-hmm. got, got your, your qualification behind you and then just follow your dreams, do whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah, because without you can – I mean, it's great because after that, you know, like Paul, if you want to become a lawyer, using your trade as, you know, part-time work, you can graduate without being steeped in debt. I was visiting with one of my church members um, yesterday mm-hmm. and we were just having a conversation together and one of the things that he said was, he says, it's so great to have a minister here mm-hmm. who we can actually talk to Mm-hmm. About real things, yeah. Because you you have a trade under your yeah. Belt. Yeah, I did a trade. I did five years in cabinet making. It's a great trade. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so yeah, I think this is any young person out there, go get yourself a trade, then go follow your dreams. You will never regret it. It will uh, it will give you a much better life. There's a lot we can learn from Paul's time in Corinth, and we are going to leave Paul there for now and come back to this tomorrow. But stay tuned. This is James Rainwater with what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear What a privilege to carry Everything to God in prayer What peace we often forfeit Oh, what needless pain we bear All because we do not carry Everything to God in prayer Trials and temptations Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged Take it Jesus knows our every week.
that friends despise forsake thee take it to the Lord in prayer in his arms he'll take and shield thee thou wilt find a soulless fantastic food, fun, friends and fellowship? Sure do. Then join us at the Philos Food Hub. For $5, you can receive a large food pack with free fruit and veggies thrown in and a complimentary breakfast as well. Wow. Where? At the Multicultural Adventist Church on Newcastle Road in Wallsend, number 63. Is that the big iconic A-frame church near the roundabout? Sure is. And it starts 10 a.m. every Thursday. Great. I'll see you there. know that fear and anxiety are the most common mental conditions in Australia. On average, one in four people will experience anxiety at some stage in their life. I'm David Stojic, counsellor and pastor of Living Abundantly Adventist Church. We are hosting speaker Danny Milenko to provide a scriptural perspective on this topic. Join us at 11am Saturday, September 8th at the Warburg Community Centre here in Newcastle and visit discoverhopeseries.com for more information. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Ah 
Welcome back to Faith FM. We're at a very interesting part of our shoe. It is our question of the day. And uh, I'm pretty excited about this question, Lyle, because it's all about food. And um, You would be. You yeah, would yeah. be. And I'm actually, I'm actually quite, uh, um, I don't want to say opinionated, but I'm very vocal about this question because I have heard some absolute ridiculous, Ridiculous answers to this one. <laughs> okay, so the question that's coming is, um, what food did Jesus eat while he was on earth? And I, let me tell you, Lyle, like, I love my vegans and I love my vegetarians, but sometimes they take it too far and they want Jesus to have been a vegan and a vegetarian so they can say that we have to follow his example, right? Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, they have to explain a couple of things away. And so I've heard some real corkers, like he ate mock fish that was actually made out of pasta. <laughs> it was tofu that he ate, not fish. And like, just this, like, okay, just give it to us. Okay, straight. so really simply, it, yes. it works like this. Mm-hmm. The question of the day goes up on our social media the day before we answer it here online because they all come into us Mon sorts through them all picks out which ones are going to go up mm-hmm. and uh, this one went up yesterday and uh, I don't need to answer it because Park Kettle already has oh I love Park Kettle on, yeah, fa- yeah, yeah, on yeah. Fa- Facebook yeah He's already, he says fruits grains nuts bread fish and local produce that's it do you reckon he ate dairy of course yeah like Why wouldn't produce. he? Well, yeah. I mean, hey, the Bible doesn't say, but we would assume so. Mm-hmm. Um, we would assume that he also ate um, other red meat that was uh, clean meat. Mm-hmm. Like lamb and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is something else that is significant for our, um, you know, people who are taking their veganism a little bit too far, mm-hmm. is that Jesus ate fish in his resurrected, glorified form Mm, after the resurrection. After the resurrection. Not only that, he caught fish, he cooked fish, and and he he ate it and fed it to his disciples Mm -hmm. after the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, some people go way, way too far. Now, I'm all for being a vegan. I'm all for being – in fact, I'm more for being on a plant-based diet than a vegan Uh because vegan kind of implies a political movement. I don't want to get political about Mm -hmm. this. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're a plant-based so vegetarian. I'm, a, I'm all for being a plant-based vegetarian. I think that's fantastic. I think that that is what we should all, all be aiming for. And, of course, all the scientific research backs that up. Uh-huh. Um, and you simply got to just read in Genesis. You know, go, go back to Genesis chapter 1. And the original diet that was given to human beings was a plant-based diet. Okay. That was the best one. Nothing has changed. Everybody knows that today. 50 years ago, people would debate you on it. They no longer do. Um. But if Jesus didn't do it, why should we have to do it? You don't have to. There's no command anywhere in the Bible to be a vegetarian. Oh, really? Absolutely. Now, I've come across churches where they command you, they have a law, you have to be vegetarian. Uh, But there is no command anywhere in the Bible to be a vegetarian. In fact, the Bible describes... Uh, you know, commanding this as um, let me see if I can find this in First Timothy chapter four. <coughs> the Bible talks about some end time errors, and it says, "Commanding this is verse three, commanding to abstain from food." That's what it goes on to say, which God has created to be received. Mm-hmm. So obviously, some food, you know, God has not created it to be eaten. Mm-hmm. You know. God has never given human beings permission to eat dead pigs. A long, long time ago, in the time of Noah, when flesh was first given to humanity as food, that's the very first time that humanity ever received flesh as food, God said, don't eat 
dead pigs, along with you know quite a number of other things that you can find all in Leviticus chapter 11 where it details all of the things that God says, don't eat this, don't eat that. It's very simple. Uh, but God never gave permission to de- eat dead pigs. Um, Isaiah chapter 66, the Bible's talking about the second coming. And at the second coming, the Bible still describes you know that God has not given permission to people to eat dead pigs. Mm-hmm. That's very, very clear. Maybe we'll maybe let's let's flick over there and read that very, very quickly. Yeah, I do want to say that you know I think the Bible sums up. But health. when God, when, when sorry, go on. I want to I want to finish yeah. this thought. When people command you to abstain from food that God has given you permission to eat, the Bible calls that a very, very dangerous thing to do and something we should not do. Mm-hmm. In fact, labels it as a doctrine of devils. Oh, really? Mm, that's pretty strong language. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that uh, the Bible sums up health as in, in, I like to put it in this catchphrase, do the best you can where you are and Absolutely. when you are and with what you have. And the when is a big part of that because when Jesus was alive, eating fish would have been quite healthy. But now, so these days. Yeah, now it's polluted, we have heavy metals and we have way more options available to us. So we don't yeah. need to be eating fish this to is, get a comprehensive Australia. diet. 20% yeah. of Australians self-identify as vegetarians. You're not going to struggle living yeah. on a vegetarian diet That's here in right. Australia. It is the easiest place in the world to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did want to read this first because uh, some people do question me over it. The Bible says, For the Lord will come with fire with his chariots, with a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. It goes on, it says, Those that sanctify themselves, so that's the second coming, those that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree, eating the swine's flesh and the abomination and the mouse shall be consumed together, says the Lord. So, yeah, the health message that God gave to us in Scripture has never changed. It's never gone away. There are some things God said, don't eat this. There are some things God said, this is the best to do. And here in Australia, it's pretty easy to do the best. Well, thanks, Lyle. Appreciate that. The gentle healer came into our town today. He touched blind eyes and the darkness left to stay but more than the blindness he took their sins away the gentle healer came into our town today the gentle healer came into our town today he spoke one word that was all he had to say And the one who had died just rose up straight away The gentle healer came into our town today Oh, he seems like just an ordinary man With dirty feet and rough but gentle hands But the words he says are hard to understand And yet he seems like just an ordinary man The gentle healer, he left our town today I just looked around and found he'd gone away Some folks from town have followed him, they say 
that the gentle healer is the truth, the life, the Welcome back, guys. That was uh, Michael Card there with The Gentle Healer. And we have come to the end of the show. And as we've come to the end of the show, Mon is busily sorting through the uh, prize box looking for our prize of the day. And our prize of the day is by Sean Boonstra. It is called Draining the Sticks. Yes. Why would you want to drain the sticks? The sticks is a beautiful river. Oh, it is? I yeah. had no idea. No, it, it is. It's a lovely river. In fact, it was in the Styx River Valley in Tasmania that they used to grow the tallest trees anywhere in the world. Well, in Greek mythology, the river Styx separated the land from the living um, from Hades. land of the living from Hades, the abode of the dead. Yes. So yeah. the, the Styx River in Tasmania, which is a beautiful place to go and visit. I encourage anybody to go down to the promised land, otherwise known as Tasmania. Ha ha. Anyway, well, and, today uh, we're, we're giving away this book, Draining the Sticks. And this is uh, this book is actually about death. Lyle, I was, yeah. th- I was thinking about what you said earlier about um, Paul McCartney taking drugs, seeing dead people. And, uh, and I know that's actually a huge curly question a lot of people struggle with. It is. And it I know is. that we're going to end up getting um, people calling us up and asking Q of the D uh, in regards to that. So I wanted to give away this book. Um, so this is this is uh, draining the sticks, taking the mystery out of death and hell by Sean Brunstra, and uh, and it says on the back, life is hard and then you die. It is the truth. No matter how cleverly we disguise death with silk-lined caskets and magnificent bouquets, we are powerless to stop the inevitable. You will die. It is well and fine for your mourners to share heartfelt stories and mournful songs, but they will be going home and you will still be in the casket. Is that too blunt? Well. These are stories and myths of ancient civilizations. Are stories and, and myths of ancient civilizations enough for you when it comes to death? Because you know, at funerals, they always say, you know, these wonderful, warm, fuzzy things, mm-hmm. which aren't necessarily true. And this book explores uh, what really happens when you die and what happens when you head to the grave. By one of our, one of the best Christian authors of modern times, Sean Boonstra. So make sure you call in right now. One 843 is our number. Or shoot us a message on social media and that one is yours for free.
see 